What's up, revelers and weirdos, and welcome to another splendid, magnificent, beautiful episode of Scaring Sam. Normally, I scare my fiance, and sometimes she just rolls her eyes, and sometimes we go to the cinema, and it's like, ooh. We go to cinema quite a lot. We eat loads of ice cream. <laughs> not in November. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe not. Maybe. But yes. Yesterday, we went to the cinema and we saw Last Night in Soho. <laughs> but maybe we should introduce ourselves first. I'm Sam. And I'm James, the patron saint of cake. Yes, it was James's birthday this week. And we have been celebrating since Thursday. We are now Saturday. <laughs> and my organs and arteries are swimming in cholesterol and cream and jam. And tomorrow, I feed you to the wolves. Out of context, but we're not going to give you context. We're going to make you assume that Sam sent me out into the wild, naked, covered in honey, and go, come wolves, come eat us. Yep. Yes. So, last night in Soho, what is the gist, Sam, you may ask? Well, I'll tell you, okay. Alone and unhappy, Ellie, a fashion student new to London, moves out of her dorm and finds a room to rent where she begins to have vivid dreams of a want-to-be starlet in 60s Soho. But these visions soon take a dark turn, and Ellie begins to realise that she may be the only one to solve a decades-old murder mystery. Ooh. Ooh. So, let's start by saying, I don't like London. Good for you. I mean, I don't like the feeling of being claustrophobic in London, there are maybe a few too many people for my liking, but, and I know I'm contradicting myself here, I do like the busyness of it all and, like, feeling part of it all. Like, there's always something going on. There's always something to do. Somewhere to go. Well, I should emphasise, I don't like all of London. There's certain areas. I like, this is, makes me sound like a pretentious twat, as Americans say, which is twat. In English. I like the theatre district. I like that. Mm. I don't know why, but the second it gets dark and I'm in London, I feel like Sam. I feel claustrophobic. I feel like I'm completely and utterly detached from nature. And that's my kind of my how I centre myself. But mm. I'm in this vast concrete jungle where it smells. Because the second you get off a train in London, you go, oh, yeah, I'm in London, because there's a weird smell. Yeah, I will agree with you on that. <laughs> there is some kind of smell going on. <laughs> and come night time, it's loud and crass and chaotic, where people constantly walking in front of you and charging into you, and you've got to dodge them and you've got... You don't know where you are, and you're like, oh, no, where am I going? Where am I going? And you've got to get the last train home, because there's you always... You never get the last train home. No. You oh. always get the one before. I have this desire to flee London before the end of the night. Always this fear I'm going to end up sleeping on a park bench or in the underground, where some strange people with Cockney accents try to feed me bread and lentils or something, something random. I literally don't understand where this is coming from in your brain. No. Well, I'd be perfectly fine if I stayed in a hotel, <laughs> but then I'd be looking at my 
well, a credit card bill afterwards and then the fear of saying... Hey, we have booked a hotel for two nights next year for two of our friends' birthday uh, Birthdays? Birthdays. Two of our friends' weddings. Wedding. They are getting married to each other. <laughs> well, anyway. <laughs> so, when I was watching Last Night in Soho, and you see Ellie, and she is coming from Cornwall. Beautiful, picturesque Cornwall, surrounded by nature and green and wide open spaces and nice cottages and... What's in Cornwall? The Eden Project? Yeah, and granite and tea rooms. Lovely, lovely, delicious tea rooms. Ellie gives all that up and decides to get a train all the way to London and you see her looking out the window and you see the reflection in the window zooming past the train and it's lovely, beautiful, green, English countryside. Also, that's a mission from Cornwall to London because we're in Kent and that's right next to London and still that's like an hour and a half just, just, to, get, just to get in. All that beautiful countryside is quickly replaced by... Brick, concrete and smell. The smell of despair and misery of every poor soul who has to live in that shit heap. Compared to Cornwall, come on, let's, let's admit it. Some people like living in built-up places. They like the busyness of things. Well, I don't like the hustle and bustle and clearly <laughs> Ellie isn't used to it either, is she? It's a culture shock. And she's warned that, oh. London can be a very violent place by her man. And the second she gets there, she gets a train to her dorms and there is a lecherous old cab driver. Yeah, but I've never personally met a cabbie like that. I guess a, a, a typical Cockney cab driver who's got the gift of the gab. He's just chatting. It doesn't mean anything, but because Ellie isn't used to it, she finds it threatening. That's the start of... Basically a montage of misogyny in this film. The only nice guy is John, fellow student, but as AK, who joined us, she, as she said, he was too nice. Mm. Bouldering on unrealistic. No, you do have two nice people. They're just trying to say, not every man is a pig. <laughs> I mean, there's other words for it, but yes. Yes, there's one nice guy in this entire film. But all the other ones are, yes, they're all pigs. Yes, so that's me. That's me and London. And I kind of felt I was in the same shoes as Ellie every time I go to London. I can enjoy it in small doses, but the idea of living there as she's studying to be a, what, a fashion designer. Mm -hmm. The idea that she's there and she cannot escape. That's distressing to me. And obviously for her, because she can't deal with that student life either. Mm. She has to flee into the quiet, run-down bedsit. Anyway, horror fans have suggested it borrows the colour saturation of Dario Argento Suspiria. Sam doesn't know this, she should, <laughs> nope. because it like, is, <laughs> it's a film about a... It's about witches, but it's set in a dance school in Italy. Hmm, okay. Yeah, you love dance. It's from the 70s, so you're not going to be scared of it. Is it a horror? Yeah, it's a horror, but you've got this weird immunity to old horror films. 
<laughs> because they're funny. <laughs> but getting back to my point, yes, clearly Edgar Wright was inspired by Argento's work, but he has stated that Mario Bava was an influence too. Both Bava and Argento are part of this trifecta of Italian horror directors along with Lucio Fauci, but Bava's work preceded the others. So, Suspiria was indeed an inspiration on last night in Soho, but so was Blood and Black Lace and many, many more Italian horror and Italian giallo films. This will become more important later on as I explain things. Wright simply loves the use of Technicolor in horror films, including Michael Powell's Peepin' Tom, another nod in Last Night in Soho. Michael Powell's Peepin' Tom, which came out the same year as Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, only Peepin' Tom ruined Powell's career, while Psycho rejuvenated Hitchcock's. But I'm going off topic. Wright was interested in doing a film set in the 60s story-wise, but also as an excuse to make a Technicolor horror based on those from that decade. The Technicolor of this film does lend to the trippy dreamlike quality that nostalgia invokes. Do you like nostalgia, Sam? Yes, I do. Yeah, Edgar Wright spent a lifetime watching 60s films. He felt the pull of nostalgia. We all love nostalgia, don't we? I dip in <laughs> here and there and everywhere. <laughs> Well, think about what we... Just not current. <laughs> well, think about what we watch. Stranger Things. Yeah. Cobra Cry, you didn't watch that. Tried to get you into it. I did start watching it. Cobra Cry's set in the, f um, in the present. True, but it's obviously because of the appeal of Karate Kid. It's... Yeah, so that's dr it's driving force, isn't it? Yeah, and they always occasionally do flashbacks to those films in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And then you've got all the numerous Terminator reboots, mm -hmm. which are never going to capture the magic of the first two films, no matter how hard they try. But it's like us listening to 70s and 80s, like classic rock kind of. Well, yeah. It's stuff. like Ellie, isn't it? She loves her 60s records. Yeah. Her whole fashion design is inspired by the 60s, mm -hmm. especially after she starts having visions of Sandy. That's what Hollywood is essentially surviving on now, isn't it, of past favourites. Dune, as well, just came out. Yeah, I enjoyed that. Literature, with, a, with already a fan base, there's not a lot of original ideas out there. And even this film is, is about the trappings of nostalgia. She's lured into like the magical, glamorous past of the swinging 60s, and then slowly but surely the illusion gives way to the seedy reality that's never highlighted in all those old films and music. Obviously for a reason. But then she... Well, it's basically forced upon her, isn't it? Every time mm. she sleeps in that tiny little bedsit. Well, it gets progressively worse and worse. And worse. And yeah. worse. Yeah, because at first, Ellie gives up the opportunity to actually live her own life when, like, John invites her out on a night on the town just so she can go to sleep and live Sandy's life. It's not a vision at first. Yeah, it's dreams. Yeah, she has that one dream where she literally flees backstage to witness the dirty truth where Sandy has been pimped out by her manager, Jack. Mm. Played by Matt Smith. Doing a villain turn. Little bit weird. 
Although he played Charlie Manson in a film, which is odd. Hmm. Which I haven't seen. And I think he played Patrick Bateman on stage in American Psycho. Hmm. Okay. I can't picture anybody but Christian Bale playing Patrick <laughs> Bateman. So after that, Ellie dreads every night as Sandy's dreams of becoming a starlet have become a living nightmare. Who wouldn't? Seriously, as soon as we start, and I don't know whether you're getting on to this point, but as soon as we start seeing these ghostly figures... These creepy old men. It's just... And there were some bits that made me jump. It was mostly the music that was making me jump. Yes, the musical um, chords in the sharp sting. Yeah. And those, those like, ghostly figures, because their faces just... They weren't fully formed. They kind of mushed about. It just really freaked me out. The thing is, though, it wasn't a jump scare. You first see this kind of transparent figure at the end of the bed, or was it mm. in like, front of the window, which is always flashing neon reds yeah. and blue from the sign outside? It doesn't appear out of nowhere. It's just there. Mm. And it's like intruding upon Sandy and Ellie's room. So it's obviously got that kind of deeply disturbing sexual undertone mm. because it's now Sandy being forced to sell her body for all these dirty old businessmen. Kind of has that sleep paralysis feel to it. Because she's stuck in it. Yeah, because it's the, it's the vulnerability of the situation, isn't it? You're your most vulnerable, what, naked in the shower or the bath or... In your bed. Because mm. for Ellie, it is a dream, isn't it? Or mm. a nightmare she's forced to witness. And she has no control of the situation. So like sleep paralysis, you're trapped. You're half awake, but your body can't move. And with sleep paralysis, people always see these shadowy figures at the corner of your eye. Or in very troubling situations, they actually approach you. Mm. And you can't do anything about it. That's where I guess the idea of alien abduction comes from as well. It's the same idea, isn't it? Mm. Weird creatures invading in your most vulnerable state. It's like a reflection. Oh, it's, it's the chair, it's okay. And Ellie just sees these faceless men yeah. more and more, and they start to invade her own life. Like a, It's like a... Waking nightmare, isn't it? Mm. Where the lines between reality and fantasy begin to blur for her. We should mention at this point that Ellie is a deeply unstable young woman. Her mother killed herself when she was seven. Mm -hmm. Like her, becoming overwhelmed by the pressures of pursuing a career in fashion in London. And it's highlighted right at the start that they both possess this kind of psychic power. Yeah, because she sees her mum in the mirror, doesn't she, at home? Yeah, and her nan mentions it, like, mm. have you seen your mum lately? Yeah. Does she have visions, or does she see ghosts, or is it both? I guess she's, like, deeply in tune with the ghost of wherever she resides. Mm. Yeah, because when when she first started seeing Sandy, then when she was out and about, sometimes she would see something, like, in the doorway or something. Oh, yeah, there's a part at the start where... God, where was it? Was it in the station or was it in the... 
shop where she sees a guy, like a full, not a transparent figure, but it's like... He's walking down the stairway, isn't he? Yeah. And, she, and I then, think, think she sees a guy in a suit And then it turns her. into yeah. an old man. Yeah, or yeah, she turns around and he's not there as well. Yeah. So she's kind of like empathic and she kind of like sees the ghosts of places. And was it, who said it? Was it Miss Collins, played by Dinah Rigg, who says it's London, everywhere there's ghosts or something, something along those lines? Oh, it was when she was asking um, if anyone had died in her room. Oh, yeah. So it was She's Mrs. Collins. Saying that like, loads of people die. Yeah, it's London. Yeah. So, not great if you're psychic and you see ghosts. You're going to see them everywhere. To some extent, Ellie is an unreliable narrator. What she is experiencing throughout the film may all be inside her head. Going back to John, the nice guy. It doesn't matter how much of a nice guy he is, the number of red flags Ellie raises, especially after almost stabbing another student. Literally, at that point, I was like, and he's gone. Take her to a a hospital or somewhere. (laughs) Drop her off and say, good luck. He would be out there in a shot. Even after that, there's this really odd scene where he's, she steps out, I think she steps out of the police station or something. And he, he looks like he's chasing after a police car because he thinks she's in it or something. And as I'm thinking, it doesn't matter how nice of a guy you are. You've just met this girl. Yeah. You're a student at uni. I guess it's like Freshers Weekend as well. You're just going to think... Uh, uh. Yeah, I don't know how much time has passed, though. Well, after she leaves the dorm and goes to the bed, sit. Yeah, how much time has actually passed? I guess it's like the first term I suppose because they go to a Halloween party so that would be yeah that would be the first term wouldn't it still yeah I mean that's really early on isn't it so he wouldn't stick around for a girl he's just met well I don't know maybe he's a better person than I am I don't know but I feel really sorry for him though when Ellie freaks out after having a vision of Sandy's bloody murder while this coincides with John trying to sleep with her I mean, it's pretty unlucky. <laughs> but that'd be traumatising for any 20-something to experience. I mean, she's there. She's witnessing this... Well, from her perspective, she's witnessing this incredibly horrific, bloody murder where mm. Matt Smith's Jack is stabbing over a massive Michael Myers-esque butcher blade. And John can't see any of this. She's screaming her head off. Her landlady is banging on the door wondering what's going on because the, she's not allowed to have gentlemen callers after night. Mm-hmm. So he's thinking, oh my God, I'm going to be accused of something. I'm going to prison. And then the next day he's just there going, oh, you okay? I'll be like, avoid eye contact, avoid eye contact. Just get through this class and go away. <laughs> oh, dear. <sighs> yeah. But now that I think about it, this theme of blurred lines between reality and fantasy is essentially, it's touched upon right at the start of the film, where Ellie looks whimsically at a photo of her mum and nan standing outside this, I think it's a really famous restaurant in London. Mm. And Ellie just naturally assumes, oh, they went there. But then her nan reveals that they couldn't afford to eat there. 
So after they took this photo of staying outside this restaurant, they just went to a wimpy down the road. Yeah. Well. But that is basically the film in a nutshell. What we perceive to be real and how grotesque and ugly reality can be. Well, the horror that is in this film essentially stems entirely from the evil that men do. And yet, this is the massive twist, which I wasn't really expecting. All those ghostly men who were attacking Sandy... Well, I say attacking. Well, in a way. <laughs> she didn't want it. Yeah. Um, they're actually all dead, and Sandy killed them. Sorry, spoiler. Her pimp basically, didn't kill Sandy. Well, killed a part of her. You see, uh, Sandy as an old woman, that is Ellie's landlady, Mrs Collins, or is it Miss Collins? Mm. Every time she was forced to sleep with all these men, a part of her died. And I guess as a psychic projection in the eyes of Ellie, she did die. Jack didn't kill her as Ellie fought. She killed Jack with that knife. She got Mm. the upper hand, killed him. So all that blood on her was his. And every single one of these men who paid to sleep with her, she killed and stuffed in all these different compartments in that room. Not just in that room, in that house. Oh, the entire house. Yeah. (laughs) You think she said that she died over a hundred times? God. Couldn't fit a hundred bodies just in that room. Oh, yeah, and while Ellie was going through those archive papers looking for Sandy's murder... She was finding loads of missing men. missing politicians and businessmen. Mm. Yeah, so Ellie was literally being haunted by every single one of those men. Because Mrs Collins, she basically spent this whole life surviving, covering Mm. her tracks, and then she discovers that Ellie has been talking to the cops, so she tries to silence her because everyone thinks she's crazy anyway. Mm -hmm. And I can't remember how, but the house begins to set alight at the end. Yeah, so Miss Collins was having a cigarette. Oh yeah, she started smoking again. Um, She put on a record, put a cigarette down, because John then rang the doorbell. Yeah, because he was waiting to flee London with Ellie. She has to cover tracks because she drugged Ellie's tea. Mm-hmm. Again, two times, I don't know if this is supposed to be a message, but two times she was given a drink in this film, both respired. Yes. I don't, uh, I don't know what they're trying to say about London, but if you're given a drink in London, don't drink it. Yeah, well, apart from ordering it at the bar, you're, you're seeing what's going yeah, in it. Yeah, Ellie has to flee Mrs Collins. She stabbed Jack. She's... Slowly, because she is an OAP, slowly chasing Ellie, who is drugged, up the stairs, up to her room while the house is on fire. But the last minute, they don't turn Mrs Collins into this kind of stereotypical villainess, Mm. which I thought was great. They decided that in the end, Ellie sympathises with her because all these male ghosts are telling her to kill her in kind of like revenge. Well, no, she doesn't listen to these men. All these men were pigs. All these men used her. Yeah. So in the end, she sympathises with her because she tries to kill herself in the end, doesn't she? Mm-hmm. So in the end, she stops her killing herself and she embraces her. I guess in the end, Sandy 
Miss Collins, she couldn't escape the past. And she just went down with the house. Yep. So, did you notice any cliches in this one? Yes. As I mentioned before, Wright wanted to make a London-set jello film. And I guess I have to explain... Mansplain. Yeah, please do, because I have no idea. (laughs) Probably not appropriate for the theme of this film, but... Okay. I got to explain jello. Which means, basically, yellow. Okay, because I keep thinking you're just saying jello. <laughs> this, is a, this is a jello film. Jello. Jello. Jelly. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. <laughs> so, yeah, it's because there used to be these old Pope detective novels which were adapted into the first films of these kind in Italy, and it always had these yellow covers to them. Right. So they become jello films, because I guess they were jello books. Now you get these old romance novel novels where the man's got his white shirt torn open, and he's got his rippling nipples out and stuff like this, and the woman's embracing her. <laughs> rippling nipples? Rippling nipples. Oh, that's a little bit strange. And then you got, you know, what I'm saying cheap romance novels. Okay. There, there was yes. also cheap crime novels. They're essentially, Italian murder mysteries, but with a heavy emphasis on horror or thriller, mm-hmm. which you could quite easily describe last night in Solo. Yeah, definitely. There's horror elements and there's thriller elements. Mm-hmm. It's neither one nor the other. It's kind of an odd film to kind of summarise. And they also, like this film tend to have a psychosexual element to the plot. I guess you can say this is Ellie's sexual awakening, I suppose, as she's becoming a woman in the big, scary city. Yeah, because she, when, when she has that hickey on her neck, she almost got like, she was embarrassed, and then she almost got like a thrill out of it, like... Oh. Like she's never experienced that before. Like, <laughs> like she's lived a kind of closeted life with her nan in the Cornish countryside. Mm. She basically wants to become Sandy because she's quite confident with herself, with her sexuality. Mm-hmm. She's in command of it and that's why she's kind of excited to see her life and be around her in these visions because she wants to be there. And when that slowly is taken away from her and she basically becomes a sex object for all these lecherous old men, she reluctantly wants to save her. Mm. Because if Sandy can't save herself, how can possibly Ellie survive in this terrible, scary town? But getting to my point, the popularity of Jell-O peaked in the late 70s, but a lot of Brian De Palma's work is influenced by Jell-O, and slasher movies have their roots in it. And usually in Jell-O's, not in this film, I was hoping to see it, but it didn't happen. Usually the killer has like a black leather trench coat with matching fedora and gloves. Sometimes a mask, but Malignant had that. That's basically Gabrielle's look, with minus the hat. Mm-hmm. Well, Sandy had a white leather But she won the killer. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, she turned out to be the killer, yeah. and she wears a white leather. So it's kind of like a t- a twist on it. Mm. She wears a white leather coat instead of a black trench coat. Okay, I saw it. I see what I did. There. Everybody.
Jello edition. Should I do it with an Italian accent or is that kind of no. racist? Jello. No. No, no. So everyone is a suspect. Not <laughs> not necessarily the case in this one. But death by sex. However many times it is. Yeah, you first think, you know, Sandy is killed by her pimp, but no, all the men she slept with, she killed. Mm -hmm. So death by sex. And again, that's where the whole idea in slasher films comes from. People have sex, they die. Although, I, if you think about it, if if she was just going to kill them, why would she sleep with them first? <laughs> so you're saying she could have just lured them to her bedroom and then killed them and taken their money? Maybe she started doing that after a while? Obviously she didn't kill all those men. She Maybe she killed Jack first and then she started killing the men. No, because Jack was the one that was getting them there. Oh. I don't know then. Is that kind of a plot hole? I thought Jack would have been the first man she killed because that's where she got the knife from. She first defended herself, killed her pimp, and then after oh. that she killed, she started killing all these men. Why but before mean? that, a part of her died every time she slept with one of these men. Maybe. In Jello, there's always this interplay with sex and violence where murders are enacted upon beautiful female characters. Mm-hmm. Again, Sandy. Mm-hmm. Kind of has it, okay? The hand of death. A shot of a hand or a pair of hands, especially wearing black leather gloves, in Jello, at least, usually holding a murder weapon. And there was a close-up of the knife in Jack's hand when Ellie first had that vision. Mm, yeah. So, hand of death is in this film. And, yes, definitely, they had the red herring. Usually a very creepy, very obvious character who's acting overly suspicious. Yeah. Like Terence Stamp's old man. Yeah. You think, oh, yeah, he's definitely Jack as an old man. No, he's just a creepy old man who used to be a detective. Who got all the girls, apparently. And he's definitely dead. Mm. He didn't survive that. Mm-mm. No. The red herring. And then definitely the mood lighting, that neon sign constantly flashing outside Ellie's window. And then when the visions get really bad and she's pursuing Sandy of allegedly the last night of her life and all those colours on the streets, that same reds and blues. Mm -hmm. So definitely got that mood lighting. And then right at the end, they have the summation. The part of the film, typically at the end, where the protagonist or killer reveals how the crime was committed. And yeah. Mrs. Collins or Miss Collins, whatever, sits down and essentially explains to Ellie the truth, which is again in always in murder mysteries like Agatha Christie stories with Poirot or Miss Marple. <laughs> it's like, this is how the crime was done. And usually she gets everyone sitting around and explaining it. Mm. So, yeah, those were the cliches. Jello edition. Okay, so currently um, we've got 73% tomato meter, um, 91% audience score. Hmm, but it's not certified fresh. I don't know how the hell they work this out. It's got more reviews by critics. But it hasn't been out very long. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, it came out literally yesterday. <laughs> I mean, I'll agree with that. I liked it. It's one of the... Far more unique films that's came out this year, and it's definitely stuck with me. 
I think this is one of Edgar Wright's best films since Shaun of the Dead. Oh, I like Shaun of the Dead. Yeah. I like Edgar Wright. I loved everything he did in space. Of all the films he's done, I love all the intricate little details and all these like little in jokes he puts in his films. You have to pay really close attention to mm. to get all. Not a lot of them, to my knowledge, were present in this film, and it's something completely different to what Edgar Wright has done in the past. And I would watch it again, and I look forward to watching it again. Maybe without me. <laughs> oh. The creepy, faceless, pervy men. Didn't do it for me, no. No, you you all tightened up. You was like, oh, no, get away from me, you dirty old man. Oh, is that how I talk? No, but that's how your body language was like in a cinema. You were like, curled up like a scared little <laughs> hamster. <laughs> a hamster? Or a hedgehog. He was like, oh, oh no, go, go away, pervy old man. Right, OK. Get out of my buddle. I don't know. On that bombshell... You have been listening to Scaring Sam. I've been Sam. And I've been James. And you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ScaringSamPod. And you can contact us at ScaringSamPod at gmail.com. Have you seen Last Night in Soho? I was about to say Last Night in Tango. Well, I don't even know what that is. <laughs> it's because we've been watching Strictly Come Dancing. Oh, well, yeah. I've been forcing you to. Have you... Seen last night in Soho? What did you think? Did you enjoy it? Is it a horror in your eyes or is it a thriller? How do you define the two? Are you a bit of a snob? And you go, oh, no, it's too sophisticated to be a horror film. It's clearly a thriller. <laughs> but yes. <laughs> so, yes, that was another fine, dazzling, stupendous, that's a new word, stupendous episode of Scaring Sam with your. Lovely, spooky sweethearts. Always there for you. Always caring. Always there to give you comfort in the darkness. Always there to put a blanket over you when you feel cold in the woods. Stay safe out there tonight. Goodbye. Yeah,